Hello and welcome to This Week in the Garden. I'm Peter Seabrook, here to help with some of your gardening quandaries. Today, we'll be conversing about compost. For Pete's sake, sorry about that, there's a shortage in this country, and I spoke to Keith Nicholson from Westland Horticulture about what the best ingredients are for your potting composts. My thanks to Mr Fothergill Seeds, sponsors of this podcast. There's several things going on this week. At Bent's Garden and Home Centre up near Warrington, they're launching their whole Christmas festival with a winter food market. So if you're anywhere up uh, the Manchester Warrington Way, worth having a look at Bent's. Uh, This week, uh, I sow sweet peas, so don't forget if you want some really good sweet peas, now's the time to sow them, either direct in the soil, if it's a sheltered position, or in pots under cold glass. And of course on Saturday, we've got the giant pumpkin competition down at Netley in Hampshire. Next week, I've got an interview with uh, one of the two Peyton brothers, I got me fingers crossed there's just a chance they might break the world record. The external measurements of one of the pumpkins that they've got indicates that if it weighs heavy for its dimension, they could pick up the world record. Actually, they had one in France that weighed 2,048 pounds. I mean, that's very nearly a tonne for one pumpkin. So uh, I keep my fingers crossed for them. I've been following those lads for years. And I just hope that they tip the scales this time and bring that world championship here to Britain. Well, I'm looking for a nice Indian summer. Weather hasn't been too bad for October in my part of the woods. Garden still looks pretty good. I've got the uh, sweet pea trench drug, uh, and if you're half interested in how I prepare the soil, well then if you go onto sungardening.co.uk, there's a little video of me sweating it out, getting ready for my sweet peas. An interesting bit of news from Australian scientists, they've bred a sweet strawberry with levels of folate up to three times higher than normal. Now, I can hear you saying, what's folate? Well, uh, Folic acid is a form of folate and it's an important B-group vitamin critical for a range of functions including the production of DNA and other genetic materials so it's important for women in the early stages of pregnancy. All you need is a 250 gram punnet of these high folate strawberries and you'd have the recommended daily intake. In the past we've always said you have to eat dark green vegetables to get uh, this particular vitamin. So it's not a matter of eat your greens. In the future, it'll be eat your foliate strawberries too. I was interested too to hear that Dobby's Garden Centre celebrated their 200th anniversary at the Royal Botanic Gardens in Edinburgh. Nicholas Marshall, uh, the boss up there, addressing current and former members of staff and uh, about 24 Scottish growers, I think, that uh, Dobby's are going to really go for UK-grown plants. Craig Marlock is supplying heathers nationally for all of the uh, Dobby's garden centres apparently. So there you are. You can get your lucky white Scottish heather from Dobby's. And uh, James McIntyre is supplying soft fruits. Angus Heathers is offering gentians. And Pentland, a nursery up near Edinburgh, are growing 10,000 poinsettias. I heard only yesterday that the Peyton boys down on the south coast 
expect to start delivering poinsettias all coloured up nice and red next week. So there you are, another sign of Christmas. Well, it was way back in the 1970s that uh, I worked for several years in the peat industry. And you know, like gardeners, those people harvesting peat had an eye on the weather all the time. And if the summer was a bit wet, as it has been uh, this year, then of course the harvest was down. And I understand it is quite a bit down. And on the line today, I have uh, Keith Nicholson with me, the Director of Marketing for Westland probably now our major compost supplier. Uh, is that right, Keith? That probably is right, Peter, yeah. Now, what is the situation? I mean, peat is still a major uh, constituent, isn't it, of lots of the potting compost we use? Yep, that's correct. Peat is, is probably the primary, still the primary resource that's used across the, across the horticulture industry. Uh, horticulture uh, and, I suppose, the peat industry supports uh, 1.5 billion pound horticultural uh, plant sector it's still predominantly used within the professional both gardeners alike and amateur gardeners alike and yes when you have a wet summer poorer harvest it does give some challenges albeit challenges which hopefully today many and certainly our own company have got many solutions around how we make sure the gardeners get the same supply and the same material they require for their for their gardening season Yes, because you're able to dilute uh, to a fair extent with a very reliable alternative, aren't you? Yes, I mean, it's probably been a good 13 to 14 years worth of, of work through looking at how do we, how do we, how do we manage uh, the demands of the gardener, how do we manage the changing requirements of gardeners and, and the home, and I'll come on to that a bit more later on, but also, we have got a, a resource. It's a resource that needs to be managed carefully. It's a natural resource. And therefore, we have developed alternatives and what we call within Westland a multi-material approach to making sure that uh, we can dilute peat and dilute peat to a level which um, doesn't compromise any performance and ensures that actually what we found with how we've worked is what we dilute our peat with, which is a blown wood fibre, it actually improves the performance of peat when combined at the right levels. So it just opens it up and in increases the air content in compost? Uh, yeah, it's correct. So it increases both the, the water management within the compost, increases the airflow, and also what has a synergistic combination with peat in the fact that it helps with nutrient transfer as well. And those three things together are effectively the most important parts of ensuring your plant gets the maximum nutrients, gets the right water around the roots and the right air level around the roots as well. So all those three things are critical to, I'm sure, I suppose, the unseen technology that goes on within, within grow media. And the wood fibres that you use are quite light, aren't they? Fluffy yeah. and light, because yeah. one of the beauties of peat is that if it's dry, then it's uh, relatively lightweight. And, of mm -hmm. course, part of the cost is just carting it about from place yeah, to yeah, place. So that's exactly right, Peter. So, so the, the, the material that we use is light. It's a wood fibre, and when we blow it, it makes it um, extremely light material. One of the major challenges with peat and with grow media is, is logistics, moving it around the country and servicing the, uh, the gardener's needs from John O'Groats to Land's End. And it does help within that. I suppose the other part as well it plays 
is you, you mentioned that a peat uh, can dry out. Well, when peat dries out, it actually actually constricts. And what happens when you when you blend it with a wood fibre type material, it doesn't constrict at the same level. Therefore, it protects roots and ensures you don't get the the um, constricting and expanding nature of peat. So therefore, you have to get a more consistent grow material over the time as well. Yeah, I suppose what you know what, what we as gardeners and growers are attempting to do is to get a balance in the compost mm-hmm. that supplies oxygen and air, that supplies water and nutrient, without the compost getting too tight. Yes, that is that, that is absolutely correct. That's what you're you're trying to do, and also you're trying to manage nutrients. You're managing pH levels, um, and you're managing salt levels within 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 your materials as well. All the things that need you need a good, I suppose the word is good balance. You hear a lot, of, a lot of gardeners, a lot of nurserymen and professionals talking about balance, and it's about the balance of air, water, nutrients. And that's, that's those things that really are what are what good compost and what gardeners are looking for. And when we buy, for example, you know, your general potting compost, mm-hmm. particularly in the growing season from sort of March, April onwards, how quickly do we need to feed? Because that's the other, I mean, in America, they put very little feed into composts and you have to sort of start feeding from day one almost. Here, there's quite a number of weeks feed, isn't there, in the compost? Yeah, and there's different levels of feed depending on what type of compost you buy. So um, a general multi-purpose compost will on average have anything up to six, six weeks of feed. As you move to more specialist compost, like specialist container composts, they can have anything up to three to four months feed and they're using some of the latest slow release technology within the compost to make sure that that the, the nutrients are released exactly when the plant requires when the temperature is sufficient around the plant as well you will see different feed levels in different compost depending on both its type of use and also the type of plant it's used on for example ericaceous would be another example where we we may put in different types of feed and different requirements in there because the plants require maybe may require more heavy feeding versus other plants. So really when you go out to get a bag or two of compost for the garden, you need to take time to look at the different bags and brands and types rather than as most people do I think today, they just go and buy and price and that can be a very dangerous way of deciding, can't it? Yes, like anything else, I think you just need to plan your what, what's the use of your compost in the, within, within the garden. So you've got, you know, you walk into any typical garden centre, you would have a whole range of probably anything up to 20 different types of compost to choose. And the most important thing is to think, what am I going to use that product for? If it's for general planting and general use, then a multi-purpose compost will be absolutely fine. If it's for specialist tomato growing, then we'd I'd recommend you move towards a a tomato planter, which has got the right level of nutrients within there that will support, um, which are plants which require very heavy feeding and also f- uh, heavy heavy nutrient requirements. All the way through to tree compost and shrub compost, again, which have got nutrients designed to make sure those plants who are particularly mature and require the right level of nutrients around the around the roots, um, that you look at those those type of compost as well. So it's important you just think about the job you need to do then plan the compost and most compost today and particularly ones from westland are clearly signposted to make sure you're clearly buying the right compost for the right need and i've been particularly wary about those composts with green waste 
Yes. I mean, we've had some horror stories in the past, and inevitably, uh, municipal green waste is going to vary. In the winter, it's going to be all kinds of laylands and woody and quite nitrogen-demanding material, and in summer, a lot of lawn mowings and stuff, and quite high nitrogen. I think we need to be careful, don't we, with um, composted green waste in composts? Yeah, I think there's, I think there's a few things here. Is I think the first thing to, to say is, is green waste... Um, it does vary significantly over the 12-month period. And the requirements to make it usable for the gardener many of the times don't make it um, relevant for the timescales that we need to supply the consumer the product. So therefore, it needs, to, it needs time, it needs to compost in the right way, and it needs to be treated very carefully. It's a material which is, it's, you can't control the inputs, so therefore you need to control it very carefully if it gets into, into the hands of gardeners. The other side of what we talked about, and you talked about uh, before, Peter, that we've got a shortage in peat. Well, one thing that can happen is companies can start to use green waste as a shortcut to, to fill, I suppose, the gap that's been left by the peat. And they're the things that gardeners have got to ensure. They look at you know, making sure that they're buying products which they feel they trust the materials in there. Westland, for example, we do not use green waste in, our, in any of our facilities. The simple reason is we cannot guarantee the consistency from January through to December. Therefore, we can't guarantee the consistency. How can we allow a gardener who may have spent 50, 60, 100 pounds on plants to use material which is, is not being checked, which we don't understand the, the, the raw materials it's come from, and therefore we can't make sure it meets the standards that we require for any gardener to use. You know, I salute that policy. I think green waste is fine for soil improvement or mulching. Correct. But really we're much better to uh, stick with more uniform materials for potting compost. Yeah, and, and the other thing to remember is that, you know, one of the fastest grown areas of gardening is container plants. So if you think the only compost, the only, the only material that plant comes in contact with is the compost you put into the pot. So therefore you've, we've got to make sure that these people who gardeners who are putting their plants into containers and they tend to be less experienced gardeners because they you know container planting is um, tends to be smaller gardens just generally then they need to be given the, the best materials to make sure they get the best results and therefore it's important that we deliver a product which is high quality and any green waste in there very difficult for any company to make sure they understand the quality and the performance they're going to be living to that gardener. Well, you talk about container growing, there's no question, you know, the amount of, of plants grown in containers is increasing. And, and I noticed only this week from Garden Trade News that uh, the 10 litre pack of uh, Westland bulb planting compost is up by 39% this year. So you must be sitting there smiling. Hey, things must be going your way, Keith. Yeah, well, I, sp well, I, suppose, I suppose there's several things as good as that in, in terms of the bulb industry and the bulb sector can be quite a good barometer to you know, people's interest in the garden and people planning their gardens and people thinking about their gardens for the future. And also, it could be people you know, within, look, who are buying 10 litre bags of compost are looking to plant more containers, get their containers ready for next season. And I guess from a, from a company point of view, it's, it's, it's great to see one of our products perform particularly well. So, so I think there's three things that tells me is that people are already thinking about their next season, the next March, yes, next April, be, which is yeah. really important. Yeah. And also, people are planting out, and there's probably a broad audience planting out in containers. And for me, that's real positive signs for, 
for the garden industry. One other thing quickly, Keith, you've introduced a new houseplant range, I believe. Well, I've been trialling what is called the watering indicator, and you just stick it in the compost of a houseplant, and it tells you when to water. That's going to be useful, isn't it? It's probably the most important thing with with houseplants. We've seen a a very big resurgence of the houseplant sector with succulents, with different houseplants and orchids. And the one thing that all consumers who enter this category whether you're novice or experienced, is when to water the product, when to water your houseplants. And a simple device like the when to water stick from Westland will give you, it tells you exactly when your plants need water and exactly when they don't need water. And uh, for me, it's an essential, it's a very, very cost-effective item and it works every single time and your plants will thrive all the way through the season. Keith, you're a great salesman. But it's new. When will it? When will people be able to get it? Do you it think? will be in their stores from December the first. So there we are, folks. You heard it here first, and I can tell you, I've got it stuck in my Stephanotis, and it's working very well on my windowsill. Keith, thank you very much for that information. I do hope that people get better results by looking more carefully at the compost they buy. <laughs> Things don't let up, you know. Plenty happening in our industry. Uh, the Brogdale Festival uh, down in Kent. That's the place to go the weekend to taste and buy lots of different tree fruits from their 2,000 collection of different varieties of apples. Great place, that is, to uh, make a visit at this time of the year. They tell me, too, that Bent's Garden Centre up near Warrington have a winter food market to sort of launch their Christmas decoration. Boy, that's a great place to go if you want a day out. Fantastic restaurants, good plants too. So Bent's Garden Centre, winter food market. And of course there's the giant pumpkin weigh-in in Hampshire. Will the Peyton brothers break the world record? Now I understand that one of those twins, Ian and Stuart, is in Canada because he's president of the World Pumpkin Growing Organisation. And his other brother went to Holland with what he thought was a champion pumpkin. But en route, it's split. And of course, if your pumpkin splits, it's disqualified. He would have won if it hadn't split. But then he had another one that went to France, and he did win. But in Hampshire, they've got one big pumpkin left. And I tell you, it is big. We just measure the circumference and there's a calculation that indicates the weight from that circumference measurement. It's a plus or minus 15% accuracy, so nobody knows until these pumpkins hit the scales. But Ian and Stuart tell me that they have one which has the second largest circumference ever. So they must be in with a chance. I got my fingers crossed. Time we had the World Pumpkin Uh, competition winning fruit here in the UK. Wish you luck lads. Thanks again to our sponsors Mr Fothergill's Seeds and to my producer Charlie Jones. Enjoy your garden. We'll be back next Thursday. Discover more at sungardening.co.uk (laughs) 